0: Welcome to The Middle Way Podcast. My name is Dr. Matthew Goodman. This podcast is about seeing the world through the lens of interconnectedness. It's about recognizing our common humanity and discovering pragmatic solutions to improve well-being from the individual to the collective. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome back to The Middle Way. My guest today is Jessica Baum. Jessica is a psychotherapist, author, thought leader, relationship coach, and founder of The Self-Full Method. She's the author of the book, Anxiously Attached, Becoming More Secure in Life and Love. And her work and her book is focused on helping people develop more meaningful connections with themselves and also understanding how their core patterns play out with others in relationships i heard jessica on one of my favorite podcasts and invited her onto the show she was gracious enough to accept my invitation and in this episode we talk about the different types of attachment secure attachment anxious attachment avoidant attachment so i think this topic is really relevant to us all some of us might be lucky enough or have done enough work to enjoy a sense of secure attachment in our relationships yet many of us also struggle with other forms of attachment anxious and avoidant being the most common types of insecure attachment so jessica talks about these in her book but she also helps us to decode how these show up in our relationships in this episode and how we can start to bring a kind and compassionate type of awareness to these patterns and to what happens in our body when these things are showing up. It was fun to talk to Jessica, not only because of her expertise on attachment in individuals, but I also challenged her as you'll hear, and she meets this challenge with the utmost insight and capability to think about how these attachment patterns play out in the collective. How are these patterns playing out between social and political groups? What's the role of listening to one another versus continuing to escalate through anger and vitriol? And are we hopefully on our way to developing a more cohesive bond between these two different sides or multiple different groups in our society. I think this is yet to be determined, but for now, I hope that you'll soak up some practical wisdom from Jessica Baum. Enjoy. I am here with Jessica Baum. Jessica, it's a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you wrote a book called Anxiously Attached, Becoming Secure in Life and Love. And this is a really great practical book for folks. And I think packed with a lot of good science, packed with a lot of great recommendations on becoming more secure in our relationships. But I wanted to start off maybe by hearing from you a little bit about what attachment is. And maybe we can talk a little bit about the three different types of attachment. So can you give us a sense of what we mean by attachment?
1: Sure. I love that question because I feel like the general public is becoming more and more aware and curious, which is great. And attachment is so layered. So when we're in womb, to early developmental years, we are forming relationships with our primary caregivers, but it's so much more than that. It's an energetic dance, primarily with our mother or that figure in where we learn to get our needs met. So we're in a dance of co-regulation with that person. So depending on our sense of safety, trust, rupture, repair, so conflict, or getting our needs met, we develop patterns of either trying to get into connection or how we're dealing with connection. And those patterns become embedded in our um, nervous system, which is not fully developed. And I can talk about how that relates to anxious attached people, anxiously attached people. But as these patterns show up, they are adaptive strategies that we later use when we're in closer bonds, intimate bonds, but just close bonds when we are in our adult life. So the same patterns show up. Sometimes the story changes or the behaviors look different, but it's usually um, falling into a couple different categories, like you said, and and the labels, they kind of help, but it's really important to know that they're really embedded patterns. And um, attachment is a two-way street. So you can have a way in which you attach or like a baseline or identify as someone who's anxiously attached, for example, but when you attach to another it's a combination of two people's embedded patterns and how that plays out in the relational dance so you can show up a little different depending on whom you attach to and what their attachment patterns are Hmm. so you said there's three there's really four and I don't really even love the the labels but they're secure and those are people out there who had a lot of great co-regulation with their primary caregiver and they have an inherent sense of trust and they don't feel invaded by someone's needs. And they also don't feel abandoned by someone's need of space. So they, have, they can get activated in relation with another, but their ability to get back to what we call homeostasis or baseline is faster and they're not as dysregulated by other people's patterns. So secure people inherently trust they're gonna get their needs met. They have a felt sense of safety in their bodies. And so they have an easier time in romantic relationships. Then we have anxious people and i would say the key word for them is inconsistency so they show up more maybe as codependent type people but people who feel like the shoe is going to drop that they might get connection but the connection won't stay there that so they're always kind of self-abandoning and um a way in which they adapted to survive was to track the needs of their primary caregiver to track the mood of another So these are people who know what their partner is feeling a little bit more than what they're even feeling. So they have a little bit of self-abandonment in there as an adaptation to survive. Mm -hmm. And then there's avoidant, which is the other end of the spectrum, which didn't get a lot of their emotional needs met and or were smothered, which is actually anxious with an avoidant protector. But their sense is, if I get vulnerable and I share my needs, they're not going to get met anyway, so I'm going to take care of myself and become super independent and self-sufficient, which is also not how we're biologically wired. We're supposed to be in relation. We're supposed to be interdependent with others. We're supposed to be able to ask for needs and get needs met. So those are the two extremes. Um, anxious would be over-dependent for self-regulation, regulate for regulation. And uh, avoidant would be only self regulating and struggling with co regulation and joining because that brings up a lot of fear.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to dive into those a little bit more and maybe we can get into a case example. But I'm curious actually just to hear from you how you got into this work um, as a therapist and how you got into the work working with people on attachment styles.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I suffered from anxiety and depression and probably what you'd call codependency when I was younger, which I write about. And I read every single book out there. And, and there are a lot of wonderful books out there, but nothing was hitting the nail on the head for me in terms of what my body was experiencing. And it wasn't until I like got really dive deep into attachment theory that I started to understand that attachment's at the crux of a lot of things that we struggle with. And so um, I came down to Florida and I had a couple different careers and I decided I wanted to help people with depression or just people who were struggling in ways that you couldn't see with your physical eye because I had been struggling. And you, if you looked at me, you would have never had known. You would have said, oh, wow, she looks totally fine. And inside, I was, I was not fine. So I did go back to school for that. And then I started working in the field of addiction because in Florida, we have a lot of that. And I found my niche working with codependency family systems, so system issues. And then through my own personal life, I started to study amago therapy, which means image. So we attract partners for a reason and um, to get conscious of our wounds and to heal. And so I started to do a lot of a couples work and families work using this modality. And I just started helping people get out of these miserable dances that they were in. And I started to see what was working. And I decided that I wanted to make something that I could share with the world so that other people could access this information. And it wasn't just seen through the lens of codependency, but now it's seen through the lens of neuroscience and uh, attachment theory, which is very, very scientifically backed. And so when you start to really understand the science behind how our nervous system responds in fear and your partner's nervous system responds in fear, you start to look at that dynamic very differently and more compassionately for yourself and your partner.
0: Mm -hmm. Do any recent case examples come to mind of someone who's anxiously attached or avoidantly attached? I wonder if you can paint a picture for us and then I would love to actually dive into what's happening underneath the skin and people's nervous systems within those relationships.
1: Sure. I mean, I, yeah, I can talk about that. I, I think I can think of a case in an example is that sometimes an anxious person, um, their underlying fear is abandonment, but even underneath that might be intimacy, but they're not even aware of that. So in order to keep themselves from feeling abandoned or the, the sense of abandonment that lives inside their body, they will want to keep their partner close. So they'll do a lot to try to keep their partner close by. And, uh, someone with an avoidant attachments style has a fear of intimacy and underneath that sometimes not conscious is a fear of abandonment so they don't want to get close because getting close means getting intimate and other fears and other things pop up so the anxious person usually expands their energetic system so they we call them the maximizers in Imago, but in my book, I refer to them as the octopus. So think about their energy is expanding. So they're thinking they're lashing out. They might shift into anger. They might become very demanding. They're always trying to engage. Even a fight is still better than no engagement. So they're doing whatever they can to get back into connection. And unfortunately it doesn't usually work and it leads to more heartache and an avoidant person they want connection, but they're scared of it. So they they usually flee or disconnect or shut down in some kind of way. So you have one person who's expanding their energy and the other person is contracting their energy. And it's uh, like a fulfilling loop where the expander wants the other person to come out. The other person can't come out because they don't feel safe and vice versa. It doesn't matter who started this dance first because we have neuroception, which I can also talk about, but we're always kind of you know, tracking, is this person with me? Are they connected to me? And if not, we can go through an avalanche of fear responses. And that can look different for everyone. But typically for an anxious person, it's about expansion of energy. And for an avoidant person, it's a contraction of energy.
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And it's just almost makes me a little bit sad to think about the fact that really underneath all of these self-protective behaviors what we all want is to feel connected to feel intimate with our partner with other people in our life and we have all of these mechanisms and strategies to try to get those needs met those needs met but which may end up actually you know impairing our relationships and getting us further apart from each other so you know this this must be because there's so much happening unconsciously in our mind. and there's so much embedded there in our nervous system that's really driving the the, the boat here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's happening inside of our bodies? What's happening in our nervous system that's causing us to kind of rely on these very habitual instinctive patterns?
1: Fear usually fear is driving the bus and we're in um a left mode of sympathetic activation on both sides so uh it is really sad and I think relationships are meant to bring up the subconscious to the conscious and what happens is we end up projecting a lot onto our partner and we've all been there and we're all guilty of it I don't care who you are if you're feeling a really intense sensation which could be implicit memory coming up it's easy to point the finger that your partner is doing this to you and we know that's not true this is coming up inside of you so the work of most relationships is to bring the subconscious to the consciousness and then to evolve and start to see your own patterns of behavior but you know as well as I know something subconscious or not even conscious how do you actually bring that into consciousness and the only way to do that is to start to really look at your own patterns your own thought processes, your own protectors, you know, a protector could be, this person's not good for me, or a label you throw on them, or, you know, a million things to make you run in the other direction or escape um, the uncomfortable sensations you might be feeling in that moment.
0: Mm -hmm. You said earlier that we sort of attract the people subconsciously into our life that help us heal, that help to make the unconscious conscious. Mm -hmm. Do you see that a lot in in your practice?
1: Absolutely. We have, you know, we we know with quantum physics and we know also through Imago theory that we have an energetic signature that is our frequency and our blueprint. And we are attracted to certain people for a multitude of reasons. I mean, there's so many layers and there's no wrong or right, but, you know, sometimes we're attracted to something that feels familiar and the familiarity of that is also where the work is and that doesn't mean that the relationship is wrong or bad or not right it just means this could be familiar and that's why you're gravitating towards it because your nervous system recognizes it or something about it pulls you in someone who's maybe different than what you're used to could appear boring or not intriguing at all so healing means getting used to really supportive people who have healthy nervous systems who can show up for you regularly who can help you become more of yourself so you can recognize that more in another when you're dating or you're getting to know
0: Mm -hmm. what's your sense of kind of the overall prevalence of anxious attachment or avoiding attachment in broader society and really i'm more curious to hear your thoughts on if you think that this is kind of a growing issue and maybe we can you know try to analyze why that's happening but do you think people are are feeling more anxiously attached to people in their life more than before let's say over the past you know few years or decade
1: yes and i think that due to our culture and the nature of our like success busy driven society that doesn't slow down and and have heart to heart connection and community at the forefront people are becoming unfortunately more in that in the other insecure categories it's also a generational thing so our attachment system is based on what our parents' attachment system is and where they hold space for us to develop. So if their parents didn't, so it's an intergenerational thing that can get passed down. So between the culture and our transactional culture of just kind of discarding and trying a um and our inability to highlight what we biologically need, which is connection and community and putting that kind of in the front. And people raising children without the support that they need. I mean, everybody thinks that a mother and a father raise a children. It really takes a village. I mean, there's like something called allo parenting out there. But there's a lot placed on the mom sometimes, and she doesn't get her needs met, and this child's being raised without enough support, and that kind of impacts the developmental process as well if there's not enough support so as a culture we don't really facilitate the type of support that's needed to raise a child and there's just so many layers to it and unfortunately we're moving into i what i think is more insecure attachment styles Um, and i i hope that shifts you know and i hope people start healing so that they can reproduce and create more security for Mm -hmm. the next generation
0: I really wonder about the role of technology and social media and especially dating apps in all of this. I mean, thinking about kind of the dating app culture and how much insecurity um, Mm -hmm. is sort of embedded in those types of relationships where, you know, it's really not about leaning into one person and working through difficulties. It's about kind of sampling. And then as soon as something goes wrong, there's 100 other people at your disposal. So sort of reinforces kind of this. Maybe sort of anxious or avoid an attachment style in my eyes. But how do you see the role of technology, you know, social media, dating apps playing a role in all this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely have to agree with you, and the dating pool changes over the years too, because more secure people get married off. So that's right. you know that. and you know i think that our culture sets us up for a fantasy of what love should look like and not many people are raised in the reality that love is a container of work and will bring up your shit excuse my language and your okay. core wounds and so the dopamine phase can last from two days to two years and then there's a rupture or a fall from grace at some point, and that's when people want to jump ship. And it is—it's scary and it's hard when the relationship was a portal of bliss, and now it's uncomfortable or different or challenging. And that's like where the work is. And unfortunately, many people out there think, "Oh, because these challenges are coming up, this relationship might might not be right for me." And it's like, no, your patterns are going to show up in most relationships. I'm not saying that there aren't better fits, and whatnot, but that you your work is to work through the patterns with your partner hopefully to get conscious of what's really going on which is really hard work and many people don't make it to that phase because it is really hard and it requires a lot of self-reflection and um growth and when you and it can be challenging so it can get messy but actually that's part of the evolution of most healthy relationships it's not like a a steady uh, incline for
0: mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. So people are in relationship, they're noticing these patterns coming up, if they're lucky enough to be aware of, oh my God, this is my kind of anxiety or my anxious attachment coming up or my avoidant tendency. How do you work with people to, I mean, I'm hesitant to even use the word healing because it's not necessarily like these things will just evaporate, but how can people better relate to these patterns in a way that allows their relationships to feel healthier um, and just for them to have a greater sense of well-being in those relationships.
1: You know, yeah, you're right. Healing is, in my opinion, expanding your tolerance or your window of tolerance in terms of um how you respond to things. And it is incredibly hard when you have insecure attachment and it takes a while to heal. But, you know, I do MAGO therapy. So part of it is learning that if your partner is doing a behavior we don't want to focus on the behavior but what is the p- behavior serving what's underneath that behavior so if they're shutting down or running away what is it they're actually running away from it might not be you even though it appears that way or if they're angry or aggressive or unhappy what is it they're or or doing some kind of behavior that you're like oh let's look at this behavior and get really mad at it you need to start to say the behavior is just an expression of the unmet need or the fear being manifest so if we can get out of the behaviors and start to get underneath them and see what's driving them and have conversations around that you can start to get conscious of those things and you know patterns repeat themselves until you can get conscious and it it is it is hard work sometimes you need a third party to step in and say hey like let's let's not focus on this let's look at what's underneath this and then it kind of shifts the way you see your partner all together, and you have more compassion for yourself and your behaviors. And you start to see that their behaviors make sense, given how they adapted to survive and how they are in their world. Mm
0: -hmm. Part of this work, from my understanding, is also getting a little bit closer to the actual physiological sensations that come up for us in these dynamics and bringing kind of gentle awareness. Um, Can you Help us understand how you might work with someone in in developing more kind of somatic awareness of these things.
1: Yeah, that's such a great um, question. You know, so we have implicit, embedded, stored memory. So when we're really young, you know, everybody thinks of memory as like a movie playing in your head, and the truth is we have sensational memory that is actually much stronger and more potent, should I say, and stored from womb to. F- forever, but for four, we don't even have the other type of memory. So we're storing all this sensational information in our bodies, in our hearts, in our bellies, um, in in our muscles. So our body is storing this trauma that doesn't get, it's not that it has to be big trauma. And I hate the word trauma because people listen to that and they get confused, but it's embedded and it's not resolved. So it's um, stored in your body. So then when you're in a relationship and someone ghosts you or doesn't call you back and you feel your gut fall or you feel a painful sensation, you think that they're causing it while they're just awakening it. And they're awakening a part of you that remembers of being dropped or not being held or being invisible or not being seen. And so they awaken these parts within you and you awaken these parts in them. Um, And it's very hard to get out of the habit of saying you did this to me versus you awakened this inside of me. Now that's where the healing is because now it's here and healing is learning to be with more and more and more of yourself in the presence of healthy people often needed um, the support of somebody else's system, but the ability to be with those sensations and have a new relationship to them to start to see them as memory. And as parts of yourself to welcome them, which most people would look at me and they're like, ew, I don't want to welcome these really uncomfortable sensations. But it's like, that's what you're avoiding. And you will continue to avoid that in all of your relationships. So if it's showing up, it's a gift to start holding that in a more supportive way so that you're not spending your life avoiding it.
0: Mm -hmm. It's helpful to think about the fact that, as you said, it's not necessarily the person or even so much about the behavior that's bringing this up it's 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 a reminder and so we can kind of through this experience that we have we're sort of filtering how we view someone else's behavior it can really magnify what's actually happening in front of us yeah
1: and it's not just like only your stored memory it happens in the here and now people do crappy things to people and I'm not discounting that in any way I'm saying if you're having a big sensation over something that's kind of crappy or just a little bit, there's a chance that you had a felt experience of this before. So both are true. We see, you know, 80% is history, 20% is happening in the here and now, and that's just a vague. So it's it's layered. It's not just like, oh, I'm having, you know, my my partner didn't call me back and I'm having all this anxiety. Them not calling you back might actually be a problem that needs to be addressed and a need. But the anxiety that you're having, if it's extreme, is also has to do with your nervous system and your sense of safety in the world. And it has deeper roots than just, you know, a missed call for a few hours. So you just wanna be gentle with yourself because once you start to unpack these things, you start to see that you're not the cause of them and you're it's not your fault. And this is a little bit wired in you. And now, you know, now you can start to heal them when you start to see that they're 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 surfacing Mm
0: -hmm. i have a really tough question i don't know if there's going to be an answer to this or not but um, maybe we can investigate it together Sure. a lot of this podcast is about really looking at things kind of from a broader collective level and also looking at the parallels between what happens in our individual lives and individual relationships and then kind of in these between broader social groups but I'm wondering if you ever observe or notice these attachment patterns playing out between groups of people, maybe between social groups or political groups, and if there is some sort of trend more more so now in the direction of relating to each other kind of in a more avoidant or anxious way.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really profound question, and... I would say that the political um opposition that we're facing is a good example of two sides fighting for their needs viciously and the energy in which we've been experiencing is um both of sympathetic activation Mm -hmm. so both sides are fighting for what they feel feel is freedom and truth and justice right and so it's this war of energy that like no one's softening to see that the the underlying thing that everybody wants is probably around the same thing although i can't say that to be true for exa- for everyone but fighting anger with anger is being stuck in a relationship where no one is starting to see the lens that the other person might be seeing and how different the reality is and how people are fighting for their life in different ways. So collectively, I think we see it all the time. And then we can get really self-righteous and think that we're right on our side. And there is a softening that happens when we don't meet that opposing force with so much resistance and i i'm just as guilty i was screaming at my tv at one point throughout all this political stuff and i won't get into like where i land or anything like that but it was awakening a part of me that felt like this is so unfair and this is how can no one see this is happening and You know, it just touched so many things inside of me, and I was able to see like it wasn't just about what was happening in the here and now, and we would get stuck in these feedback loops. And I think the news kind of just pours more gasoline on the fire any which way it can to try to keep us hooked. So yeah, it's power struggles, and and essentially collectively, we are involved in power struggles energetically. And in our intimate relationships, we're involved in power struggles. And if you meet one resistance with resistance or anger with anger, you're not going to ever get to um, a place where there's kind of a middle ground or a middle path. Um, And it's hard when you feel like you're being taken advantage of, or you you see a really unjust thing unfold in your eyes. And it's tricky and i think we've all we've all been there i don't know anyone who hasn't been there collectively with everything that has been going on in the world so I, that's the best way i can address the political agenda situation and i would say collectively sometimes there's chaos before there's order and so sometimes there needs to be a level of chaos in our relationship our relationships, but also in our society, because without the chaos, we can't bring order. And before there's big change, sometimes the change is a big like explosion of things. And then there's a reorganization of things after that. So sometimes it's needed. So hopefully there'll be some more order and peace um, on its way.
0: That was probably the best answer I could have ever (laughs) hoped for in response to that question. So, thank you so much for that. It's really interesting to think about us kind of collectively in this sort of relationship. And, you know, I hate to divide into sides, right? But I mean, we do see kind of different, you know, two different sides. And we are really in this really tense relationship with one another. Maybe separation is the answer. Hopefully not. Maybe we can work through it together. But I love what you said about. You know probably somewhere deep down there are some similar desires there some similar needs that we want to be met it might not be exactly the same but probably somewhere there's something like the desire to be happy the desire to be healthy to you know feel more connected to people around us to each other Um, so it's helpful to think about it through that container And I really love the um, the framework of kind of chaos and order that you put around that as well, and I totally agree. I think perhaps maybe there's some sort of chaos or rupture happening, hopefully, so that we can find a, a better and deeper relationship with with one another and build something new together.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think well, when you look at rupture and repair as infants, rupture is needed. It's not that we're uncomfortable in relationship; it's that we get uncomfortable, and then there's a deep repair which deepens intimacy and and trust. And I think the same thing, true, you know, goes true. Like we can't have a society that never has ruptures. It's it's inevitable. We're going to have moments that are scary and hard and change has to come at a certain point in order to change for something better. And so it's the transition that can be pretty hard.
0: That's fantastic.
1: A little existential, but <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
0: Um, I know I've asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you're hoping to share with folks? I know I think this was very insightful on multiple levels
1: yeah I mean I don't know the population that listens to this podcast but hi um and I guess you know part of my work is that you know I want to help people heal and I just I wrote a book and and it's a self-help book but the truth is healing happens in healing relationships and then if you're listening to this and you're identifying as one of these attachment styles just know like one you're not alone and two slowing down and grabbing the right support and asking for that support is actually how you heal. We don't heal with a book alone. We don't heal on our own. There is some healing that can happen alone, but truly having or re-experiencing things in the support of supportive people is, is how we start to integrate change in our brain. So it's really important that you don't feel if you're listening that you have to heal any of this alone or that you're different that we all have patterns and that reaching out for support is so important
0: Mm -hmm. so important and um i will have a link to your book in the show notes so that people can hopefully take that book and bring it into their relationships to actually um experiment with that work in their real lives where else can people find you and learn more about your work
1: Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, Jessica Baum, LMHC. I'm actually not on as much as I used to be, but also I have a coaching company called Be Self Full. Um, And you can just put my name in Google and pretty much everywhere. And the book is everywhere too. And um, in a lot of different languages. So I'm really fortunate that it's like getting a wide stretch and a reach out there.
0: Awesome. Jessica, so appreciate you being here.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you again for listening. Remember that you can really help the show by clicking subscribe or by leaving a rating, a review, or sharing the episode with someone else. Thanks again and see you back here soon.